Hi, welcome to Leadership in Crisis, a podcast which is very much needed at these unprecedented times. This is your host, Swami Sriparambadur, a seasoned CXO, leader, business strategist, and philanthropist. As part of our continuation of Future of Talent series, we have invited a special guest, Belinda Burson, a former global head of executive and digital talent acquisition at Sutherland, a global provider of world-class innovative analytics-driven business solutions and services. Belinda oversaw all aspects of talent acquisition strategy and execution partnering closely with business leaders across the firm to deliver human capital hiring plans, diversity and inclusion sourcing strategies, compensation benchmarks, and competitive intelligence. Prior to joining Sutherland, Belinda spent more than 17 years in retained executive search acquiring talent for organizations such as Boston Consulting Group, Cameron International, The Walt Disney Company, Eastman Chemical, and McKinsey & Company, and many more. Belinda, welcome to the show. Thanks, Swami. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was pleasure is mine. It's good to see a varied personality with a different uh, focuses, including diversity and inclusion is really great to have. So on speaking on that, so as you mentioned, you used to have some kind of a diversity and inclusion strategies. So can you share some of those which will really help us understand what are the different strategies you used to uh, manage when you were in Sutherland or previous experiences? I would say in, in Sutherland, our, our biggest goal was around female hiring. Um, Sutherland is by far very male dominated. Uh, and so that was always top of mind. It wouldn't matter what functional area we were recruiting for. Um, I mean, we would purposely map talent you know using competitive intelligence here's the competitors here's the list of people in this functional area in that competitor and here are the ones that are female um you know now in the u.s i'd say in 2020 um we would be shifting or expanding that uh to be much more inclusive um around uh, sexual orientation around race, around age. Um, I think, you know, DNI has just, um, or as a lot of people like to call it DIBS, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, I think has just become front and center, particularly in the U.S. Uh, in 2020. That's very true. I think uh, everywhere we are all focusing more on the women and I see many groups are coming in, women in tech, and I think I know a lot of my uh, network, some of the people have started pioneering in women in tech. In general, I think women uh, going into the top is increasing. So overall, do you see how the percentage is increasing? Are we there where we are supposed to be? Are we still at the um, little percentage? What do you think about it? I think that's industry to industry, quite frankly. Okay. Um, in Sutherland's industry, nowhere you know, in the BPO space um, and ITO space, nowhere near, you know, um, where we need to be. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you look at other industries, uh, tech has done a fantastic job. Um, hospitality has done a great job. Retail um, has historically always been. 
yeah. very proportionate. So I think it's industry to industry and country to country, quite oh. frankly. Well, I think you brought a very good point because each country is different. I think in some of the countries, they are still rigid. Some of the countries are open. Again, it is also uh, difference in culture. So do you see any kind of element of culture with respect to the country, to the gender and any kind of a commonality you can see or you have seen in your experience in general? Um, I would say, uh, you know, India and the Philippines are very un underrepresented in female leadership. Mm -hmm. Other one, it was kind of cool though. I mean, we had a CXO um, in India, female. Oh. Um, we had two or three other very senior, you know, SVP level females in India. Um, current, the current head of India as the country is Harita Gupta. So oh. Harita is often recognized um, by, you know, CIO sort of organizations like Women in Tech, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, but she's also, you know, kind of a standout for being a female country leader in the BPO industry. Um, Philippines, uh, definitely um, by population uh, in, across multiple industries, not just the, the outsourcing industry. Um, women are significantly underrepresented in leadership. Uh, Europe, I would say, is, is fairly well balanced. Um, uh, U.S., Canada, um, you know, again, I think that's where the breakdown by industry comes. Okay, okay. Um, and LATAM, probably has a ways to go. I, I, I think so. I think LATAM is slowly coming up because I've been talking to a couple of companies and then I found to some of the leadership or the females. I think it is catching up. But yeah, I think um, the overall globalization has really changed and I think uh, the female percentage are increasing. And, and as you rightly said, the country specific and the uh, industry specific are different. And of course, the culture plays a big role. So that's fantastic. So as part of it, as you're saying, you know, you also take care of the sourcing strategies. So what are the different unique or innovative way of uh, having a sourcing strategies in this case, uh, particular gender or particular diversity? How do you, what kind of things you use to manage or what, what is that your thought leadership in that? Uh, so I would say, um, again, dependent we always segmented that based upon the geography and the functional area we were, you know, sourcing in. So, um, for example, in in Bulgaria, uh, there aren't really job boards, you know, where people's resumes exist. So um, you only have uh, proactive sourcing, headhunting, and you have um, job postings. And we even saw in Bulgaria where uh, the candidates didn't want to go through the painful application process. Oh. So they would wait for a search firm to post the same job because the search firm would do their application for them. Uh, wow. so, that was, so, you know, Bulgaria had an interesting sourcing strategy. Um, you know, if you think about um, India, you could really pull in a lot of um, 
just multiple levers to pull. Um, you've got, you know, Knockery where you can find anybody's resume. It may not be updated, but even yeah. SVP's resume is out there, oh. which is not common in other countries. Yep. Um, but, you know, and then great networking in India. You know, people love to give referrals. Um, so there was always that thread to pull. Um, job posting, I, I don't think as productive in India. There's just too many out there for the candidates to really have the time to see them all. Um, Philippines, uh, also very heavy on networking and employee referrals in the Philippines okay. were pretty high. Um, U.S. is where it really kind of broke down by function because there would be, you would, you know, really look at certain job boards, like if it was IT, you would go to DICE, um, you know, and if it was uh, HR, you may go to some HR groups on LinkedIn, join mm -hmm. the groups and recruit directly out of the groups. Uh, so U.S., it really kind of broke down by function more than probably any other geography in terms of creating that sourcing strategy. Well, I mean, Belinda, it was amazing. You could really take me to all the world uh, main <laughs> countries and you really know, I mean, that explains the great uh, uh, experience and exposure you have. And it was also, uh, it's very hard to imagine that there is a country where there is uh, no need of, I mean, job postings or job boards are still not there. I mean, Bulgaria, wow, that's, that's so, well, in some countries, post? we really have to go far. Yeah, you can post a job in Bulgaria, but they do not have resume databases as part of that job board, you know, and any other job board around the world has job postings, resume database, you know, you wow. not in Bulgaria. That's why I think, you know, HR and talent is very, very people centric, right? And it's all about the people. <laughs> And it's all about the culture. It's also about the diversities. And then you really go to different countries, different strategies. I'm amazed. I mean, hats off to you <laughs> that, you know, you really know a lot about these sourcing strategies in each country. That's amazing. Thank you. So oh, thank you. So I being a uh, more from the technologist perspective and a, a seasoned business leader. So what is the technology portion you think uh, from your sourcing strategies can be adopted because now everything innovation is uh, critical right you know if you think about it last six months the pandemic has really devastated now the positive side of it everybody is trying to become innovative now people are not really doing any walk-in interviews like and if you take on uh, India and some other countries you have a walk-in interviews people go with a resume and they just go because you have a, a big um, position is posted in the uh, paper or the, some magazine so people go but now how do you see technology playing a role in those sourcing strategies what is that experience um, you would like to share to the viewers or listeners yeah I, I would say you know one of the big differences post, you know, March 2020 um, is like you said, there it's, you cannot rely on job fairs and walk-ins and that traditional sort of, uh, let's call it engagement with a candidate pool. Mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, now you have to determine where your ideal candidate lives in the digital universe. Uh, and so that, that varies country to country and by level. 
You know, if you're going after, a, you know, a, a, a Gen Xer in the United States, you know, they, they're living in Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Y and Z are Instagram and, and Snapchat and um, other sorts of, of places. So you have to think about where do they spend, especially now, because everybody, everything you do, you know, you, you just do everything online. You order your dinner online. You, you know, you, you stream uh, Hulu or Disney Plus or Netflix or whatever, you know, it's just all there. But you have to think about that candidate profile and where do they live in the digital universe. And then once you identify where that is, that's where the technology platforms really come into play because you need to be able to leverage that technology platform that, because you can't manually, you know, person by person do engagement that way. You've got to do it using AI and other tools so that you're kind of you know, it's kind of like how Facebook markets to you, right? You get on Facebook, they heard you talking about Coca-Cola. The next thing you know, you have a Pepsi ad up there. Uh, you, you know, you got to take that Facebook approach using, you know, a, a AI specifically for talent acquisition to go after that target audience and where they live in the digital universe. Um, you don't have to go so far as listening to their conversations and, you know, but um, I think that's where technology really comes into, into play. Um, ease of use for the candidates. I mean, we're in the, you know, when um, Sutherland has a trademark saying easy is hard, that came from our work with Amazon and, um, and the buy now with one click. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very easy for the consumer, very hard for those of us on the back side of that click. Um, and, you know, that's what people expect now, that ease, uh, you know, one click. So chatbots, AI, um, uh, you know, are critical. I, I would love to see the chatbot um, capability kind of go further than the sourcing and start to help um, supplement a recruiter's engagement. Um, that's the number one thing candidates complain about. They don't hear back from the recruiter. They don't know where they are in the, in the pipeline. You know, what's the steps in the process? You know, AI could take care of a lot of this candidate engagement and, and keep people, you know, feeling like as the employer that you matter as a candidate to us. Absolutely. No, Sorry, I, I think I got on a soapbox there. I apologize, Swami. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it was it was pretty good because um, uh, a couple of things you talked about is AI is really required, but then AI with explainable AI, what we are talking about, because the world is going towards frictionless recruiting. They want to remove all the bias, and then this explainable AI gives you all this information about it. And then, as you said, you know, the chatbot is really very cool because the conversations need to happen. And when a candidate comes to a chatbot, he should be able to pick up you know, based on his identity. Okay, hey, you know, um, uh, Dr. James, you know, we found your profile here. So I think you've already applied here. So the most of this predictive analytics and the machine learning should be able to give a comfort zone to the job seeker saying that, you know, we already have this profile. You are at this stage three of the interview or stage four or you're good. I think, um, as you rightly said, the chatbot. And another thing, 
So I want to ask you in the similar fashion. So of course it is with the different industries and different uh, technologies, but does it uh, have any difference? in terms of the blue collar workers and the white collar jobs you know is, do you see any difference in terms of the usage of the technology engagement what what is uh, your thought on uh, no i don't think so i think everyone today is very uh comfortable with smartphones and all the applications available to you on a smartphone um so i i don't think there's delineation between blue collar and white collar but again it it's in where does the blue collar person live in the digital universe mm-hmm. versus where does the white collar person live in the digital universe um where what you know you've got to be able to customize the language from the bots um specific for a demographic uh yeah. uh i think you know you and i've talked about this before slang you know it is it 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 requires some interpretation depending upon where you are in the world or or even in the united states some you know north versus south yeah. um very different uh so um you know i i i think no difference uh, on in- on in on getting white versus blue collar to engage i think but you've got to meet them where they live in the digital universe to to i, I think i really like the term you are using the digital universe because that is really a, a key component of a person irrespective of the job and the location because it's all about what kind of a digital universe uh, this person is living at and so that we can do and uh, you brought up a very good point about as we also discussed before it's all about the uh, not about multiple different languages but also the same language of a different slang because people use a very different the southern accent and the northern accent is completely different and then being a bot it is easy to train and then you can able to do it rather than a human being learning and doing because this is where the technology piece can really say that hey you know this guy is from new york i will have a new york accent and this guy is from maybe a west coast or a texas i'm rowdy in the uh, you know texas ranger you know <laughs> this is completely different so that's good so just uh, flipping a little bit about um, trying to understand as a you have been always playing a head of a talent um, management team so as a head of talent how one should help your customers to think or plan for future of talent what are the key attributes you go and talk to your customers in terms of future of talent you mean the internal customer the stakeholder internally stakeholders yeah it could be okay. internal stakeholders or outsider whatever you you have been uh, experiencing So I mean I think the key for uh the stakeholder conversations will be competitive intelligence. Um a, a lot of times, you know, people that are in any function other than talent acquisition and sales are never talking to anybody in the outside market. You know, oh. if you're in finance or traditional HR or operations or whatever you only talk to your colleagues in your company and so you really are in the bubble all the time and you do not have competitive intelligence about what's happening out in the market and so 
I find, you know, helping stakeholders prepare is, is capturing intelligence, uh, d dissecting it, validating it, you know, and then sharing it so that you can take action on it. Um, at Sutherland, for example, um, we had to build this really niche team, hired 45 architects and engineers across 100 days in five countries. Um, and by the first week of starting this, the one thing that came became very apparent is that when we recruited this profile the year before, mm -hmm. people were about 35 to 40% less in their compensation than one year later. Like I talked to a gentleman who was $300,000 in 2019, $430,000 in early 2019. Uh, wow. So, uh, like 2019, early, uh, early 2020. So, you know, uh, that was eye-opening to me. You know, finance was a stakeholder that I quickly made them aware of this. HR, our comp and bend team, you know, including the hiring managers. But everybody needed to know that whatever was previously on the to be hired and the estimated cost of that to be hired, you need to take that up by 40%. Wow. And, and, and why is that so much difference? Is it any reason or is it was it just a really niche skill set and really sought after. So, you know, um, it was almost like its own miniature dot com bubble, if you will. Uh, and it was worldwide, the increase in top comp. It didn't matter, you know, if it was U.S., Canada, Mexico, Philippines or India. Any of those candidates, if you ask them what they made the year before, it was easily 35, 40% less than where they were today. Wow, that's a huge jump. That's wow. Yeah, so I always think that sort of competitive intelligence um, is critical in communication with the stakeholders and helping them prepare for the future. I also think them, you know, really being able to be a good you know, storyteller when they're interviewing candidates. Don't stick to just the, you know, scripted questions that you have for yourself. You need to be able to share your story. Why did you join and why do you stay? Right. If you don't have an answer for that, you shouldn't be recruiting anybody to join your team. <laughs> That's very true. I think uh, this leads to a very good question, which I was always thinking. How are you really um, tying your mission and vision values of an organization as part of the uh, your recruitment process? Are you really sticking to those things? Are, are they really namesake? Because, you know, uh, these younger generation, what I've seen, of course, they need a good position. They're good at role and responsibilities. They need a good salary. But they're also looking at it, how the organization is really living up to its mission and vision statements. So what is your opinion on that? So um, I don't have Sutherland's mission in front of me, sorry, uh, but I, I can kind of extrapolate from that. Um, so Sutherland's mission is all about Sutherland's clients. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I can remember prior to about 2016, you know, we weren't that concerned about our brand. We wanted um, in outsourcing, we wanted the end user to really 
you know, um, see us as AT&T or as who, whatever, you know, uh, client we were serving. Um, and the same thing goes for that employee. I think the interesting thing in um, outsourcing is you want the employees to be a great steward of your customer's brand yeah. and be and and to be a cultural fit with that brand and that customer. Um, so you know the people we would recruit for a top tier re- retailer would be very different from who we would recruit for you know a uh, a high tech client, obviously. Um, but there is a balance between you know them still feeling like Sutherland and feeling like part of that client organization. Um, you don't, you've got to maintain both. And it, it is a, outsourcing is an interesting um, challenge in terms of engagement uh, with your with your employees, I think. Um, no, I think that, that, that's but, a good point you talked about, you know, the values of your own organization versus your customer because it is outsourcing and it's, completely different based on the industry to industry. So with this pandemic, how do you, what is your um, idea on uh, how the outsourcing industry is doing or going to do in the future? Like, you know, we have been going through this pandemic, how it has been affected as an overall industry, not just the Sutherland, but in general, what do you see in the industry of outsourcing industry, the BPO? Uh, I think, uh, from a client perspective, I think most um, of the providers did pretty well, pretty rapidly. Um, you did not see a lot of um, frustration from their customers, you know, on, on social media and other things. I, I mean, the first few weeks, obviously, people were, you know, again, back to that Amazon effect of instant kind of you know, uh, return. Um, you know, I think in the first couple of weeks, consumers had had some adjustment to go, so I'll be on hold for 45 minutes, you know, whereas in January, I would have been on hold for four minutes. Yeah. Know? And so wow. um, I think the industry itself did, did really well at trying not to be too disruptive to the end customer, you know, not our clients, but their customers. So I think they did pretty well. Um, Sutherland did, you know, fortunately was very cloud enabled prior to any of this. So I think it might've been a little easier for us than maybe some other um, organizations to flip that fast. Wow. Um, But I I think, you know, I, I think where the industry, the pain point for the industry is um you know a a lot of organizations um use outcome-based pricing in their contracts and so if you had an outcome-based pricing agreement with let's say an airline Mm -hmm. uh you know totally tanked yeah you're losing a lot of money on that contract um so but I think, you know, I guess it depends on how diverse the outsourcing organization was in terms of its co- customer base. Because if you think about it, yeah, the airlines didn't really need that many people anymore and they didn't need reservation agents and they didn't need all that stuff. But Amazon did. 
uh, FedEx did, UPS did, you know, um, uh, so I think, you know. Yeah, I think it is a lot of the different uh, industry you have to segmentize because in this whole pandemic, I saw the healthcare industry was growing up and the logistics industry because whether you are doing work from home or not going anywhere, but you are still want to eat, you still want to go and shop for the groceries, you still want to do your immediate needs and everything was available. I think the e-commerce sites were very much up and doing. And I, I also saw a couple of companies uh, almost went to bankrupt because they never visualized that they have to go into e-commerce and then um, they couldn't sustain this whole pandemic. So they were still a walk-in on stores, which is very, very impossible these times. So, yeah. uh, no, no, but I, I think I, that information is good. Uh, what you I think saying. Instacart uh, was, you know, probably the most stressed organization out there because they were, you know, kind of taking some market share here and there and then poof. So delivery man Instacart. Everybody was living on the Instacart. No, I, 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 know. I, I know. <laughs> Good, good, good. So just uh, and, uh, wrapping up a couple of things, I um, want to understand, as you have seen, everybody is calling as a new normal. So in your um, um, capacity or the leadership in this specific segments, what do you think as a new normal, which will continue even after the post-pandemic? What has really changed? Uh, I think, you know, for everyone, but most importantly, for all of the HR functions is uh, adaptability. And, and rapid adaptability. Um, if you, you know, you can go online and take all these free assessments. If you find that you are someone who is, you know, resistant to change, you may be looking for a different career because HR for the foreseeable future is going to be a constant state of change. Um, so I, I think that, you know, rapid adaption, um, so that speed and agility. I, I think um, people working from home that have never done it before, mm-hmm. autonomy and accountability, you know, I, I mean, you used to have a manager seeing everything you did and now you're working in your pajamas or something. And, you know, so I think that you've never had to, a, a lot of people have never had to prove to themselves you know, accountability before. Um, It just happened because you sat at your desk for eight hours a day and got stuff done and that's, you know, but I think now it's gotta be an innate, you've gotta develop it as a behavior and a trait. And um, so I I think that's a big outcome from uh, the pandemic. Um, But a real upside I think is internal mobility um, because you know, in the past, you may have said, hey, we've got this job opening in, in Rochester um, and the person that's most qualified and most interested is in Las Vegas and they're not open to relocation. Well, doesn't matter anymore. Um, so I, I think I'm hopeful that when we look at numbers in 2021, that internal fulfillment, you know, will be significantly up. Um, because, you know, you cannot rely on an external funnel anymore. You've got to, you know, 
build your own and promote your own and put a lot more emphasis on internal mobility. Yeah, I think uh, that's good. So I think the accountability and um, autonomy, right? So I think you said very clearly because each person working from home, irrespective of their title, they have to be accountable on their own things. And it is uh, almost like a, you you are doing like a bot, right? There is no supervision. You just keep doing it, whatever you want it. And you need to produce the results because outcome really matters now everywhere because we cannot, we can only see you when the Zoom or your um, team sheet is on, otherwise we are not visible. But uh, I really appreciate again, Belinda, thank you. I think you have really uh, took us to a world global tour with the diversity inclusion and with a focus on outsourcing industry because it is a different industry so we are talking about the future of talent but it is a different industry you have touched upon very key points and also talked about the autonomy piece and accountability again uh, thank you for sharing a wonderful insights on the future of talent and especially on this uh, outsourcing industry and uh, we are looking forward to having more of these sessions and thanks for joining with us thank you so much belinda thanks for having